Good evening, everyone. I'm Allison Camerata. Welcome to CNN Tonight. We begin with two alarming crime stories. A Pennsylvania man was arrested after allegedly trying to bring explosives on a plane to Florida. Police say it's not terrorism. So what was it? And then the story of a heinous murder in St. Louis caught on a cell phone by a bystander. The next image is graphic. It appears to be the moment that the suspect allegedly shot a homeless man in the head in broad daylight on a street in downtown St. Louis. Tonight, we'll give you the real stats on crime and how it's being used as a potent political issue. Plus, have you noticed that some of the lawmakers who are trying to make dressing in drag illegal are the very same lawmakers who themselves have dressed in women's clothing? We have the photos of them to prove it. And how much would it take for you to move back to your home state? How about $25,000? We'll explain. We have a lot to talk about, so let's bring in our panel. Here with me, we have my constant companion, LZ Granderson. Also, my ex, John Berman. I, I won't say ex of what. John Miller, our crime and justice savant, and the always unfiltered S.E. Cup. Great to have all of you guys here. Okay, let's start with the explosives on a plane. Uh, John Miller, is this guy a criminal or an idiot? Did he know what he By was By the way, doing? they're not mutually wow. exclusive. No, they're not, but I feel like you need to say which one this is, because I'm not sure. So we're drifting... Quickly towards Knucklehead, um, there's two distinct possibilities here. One that, you know, he put explosives on that plane hidden in a suitcase, you know, behind the liner uh, as a test to see if a bomb could be smuggled onto a plane. The other possibility is he is a knucklehead who, like, had his, you know, his pipe there, you know, with residue from whatever he was smoking, his fireworks, which he had apparently taken apart from, like, a, a pyrotechnic shell and attached to a, a fuse um, and some clothes for his trip to Florida. Um, so far, based on the background that FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force has done and the knowledge that the local police have of this individual, uh, Knucklehead's winning out. Interesting. You know, Essie, I am comforted, actually, by this story. Yeah. It worked. Yeah. This worked. The TSA found it. He checked his bag. The TSA found the explosives. They pulled it off the plane. They arrested him. They're running the background check. Like, the system worked. That was comforting. I think we've gotten used to not hearing these stories, right? I, you know, I'm a, a child or adult of 9-11, all the things that happened after. And it's been a long time since you've heard something like this. And for all the times you go through TSA or drop your bags up, you think they're not look, they're not really looking. Well, they looked in all the places and all the ways, and it did um, catch this. I don't think he's an idiot. I mean, I think he was really trying to do something because I don't, I don't, I don't usually mistakenly put my bomb in my suitcase. <laughs> I usually remember to leave it at home before I go to the airport. I mean, I don't a good know. point, but didn't he say something like he was going to use it as fireworks or something? Well, I mean, it was called, it was called from fireworks, but uh, the, I mean, the, the reality here, as Essie hints at, is this is sensitive to impact, to friction, to heat. It's going in the cargo hold where all of those variables exist. Too hot, too cold, things banging around. And had that self-ignited, there was no initiator or timer or detonator attached to it that would have allowed it to act um, on a timer. But had something caused it to go off in flight, that's really bad. I mean, it would have been a flash. It would have been a fire. (laughs) Are Um, all these criminology courses that that, that you've been involved with, that's really bad if it goes off knucklehead? These are terms that are taught? I'm I'm trying to use the technical terms (laughs) that we learn at the academy. That's right, so that we can understand Knuckleheads do things that are really bad. That's good. The the thing that makes me... It's part of being a savant. (laughs) Yes, indeed. I'm happy that the system worked. 
The thing that makes me a little uncomfortable, based upon the reporting that I've read thus far, is that his name was called over the speaker once they identified the bag, and he left. Out of Dodge. Yeah. Yes. It's like, why did you leave? Because right. he knew what was in his bag. Because he had a bomb. Right. But it's like, was it like, oh, gosh, I forgot the bomb? Or was mm. it, no. ah, they mm. found the bomb? When That's the thing I'm worried about. When you hide that something the in the liner of your suitcase and they're calling your name on the loudspeaker, you didn't forget anything. Mm-hmm. That's right. All right, now let's talk about the more serious and really heinous crime in St. Louis so that we have um, a still frame from some cell phone video. It's really disturbing. A bystander caught it on tape. Broad daylight. Um, Apparently there was an altercation, John, as you know, at a gas station. Um, And shortly after that, this homeless man is shot in the head at 10 a.m. on this sidewalk in St. Louis, this crime is just, you know, what every single American fears about crime, which is that, you know, an altercation in a gas station can um, escalate to a deadly incident. So do you know any more about this guy's background? Uh, not much more because the district attorney there has, um, has not released um, his background. But I think what you're seeing there and the reason this has become a big political football um, is, you know, this is a, a town that has a, another progressive district attorney who's looking for criminal justice reform, all kinds of alternatives, and they've been seeing crime go up, as have many cities in the same position. So you've got... Um, we were just talking the other day about a state that was trying to take over a local police department, mm-hmm. judges and prosecutors in Mississippi. Um, here's a case where the state attorney general is trying to remove the district attorney, and um, start prosecuting criminal cases through his office. So it's, it's complicated and messy there. Well, I mean, if this, if this criminal didn't have any background, it didn't have a rap sheet, I don't know what you want the district attorney to do. So I don't know yet. We don't know yet about the background. But in terms of St. Louis, in 2000, the crime has gone up in mm-hmm. St. Louis. So in 2018, there were 187 homicides. In 2020, the last year that we have numbers for 264, a 36% increase. If we look nationally, the crime rate is... The homicide rate nationally is 34% higher now than it was in 2019, the year before the pandemic. Though, John, some cities it's gone up markedly, some cities it's gone down. Isn't it down, though, in the last year? I mean, it's a look, the the numbers here, there's no question that there is more crime now than there was in a period before the pandemic. The question is, where is it trending now? sort of since the end of the pandemic. And I think that's a little murkier. It doesn't make it any less frightening, though, if you are living near actual crime and you are living near the portrayals of actual crime, which have as much of an impact as the crimes themselves. And and this is something I've heard John talk about, John Miller talk about, is that, you know, it's not just when a crime is committed, it's when it ends up on the front page of the newspaper the next day and then you see it and then they cover everything that's remotely like it and that whether or not it's going up, crime is, in a perceptible, meaningful way. You feel it because you're reading about it every day. And just last night, LZ, we were on the air when Lori Lightfoot lost her bid for a second term. And I wonder if you think that that is, I mean, it was about crime. It was, uh, I was, I was, much of it was about crime. Some of it was about schools. And I wonder if that's seen as a bellwether for other Democrats. You know, certainly Republicans, I think, are going to use this as a way of trying to make a larger conversation. But I think, particularly when it comes to Chicago, it's unique. You know, during the primary, she got less than 20% of the vote. So she went into 
the general election in 2019, not necessarily with wind in her back to begin with. So when she began fighting with the unions, when she was having problems with the city council, she was already someone who wasn't necessarily beloved when she got there. She made history because she's a Democrat. She didn't make history because she was Lori Lightfoot. She made history because she was a Democrat. So when she got in trouble, that's when you realize, oh, she was never really supported as much as we thought she was to begin with. And I don't want to conflate her situation with what happened in Mississippi or what's happened in St. Louis, because I think they're all unique and they need to be looked at that way. What do you think, Essie? Well, listen, I work for the New York Daily News. I see the stories of this kind of crime, not just on a daily basis, but throughout the day. Stories like this. They're real. They're real stories. They do paint a picture of crime, real or maybe exaggerated, that you feel. And I don't know why Democrats keep seeding this argument to Republicans. You don't have to pretend it's an invention. And arguing the stats, I think, is important to give the right numbers. But if people feel afraid, I think politicians would do well to acknowledge that and lean into that. And I can tell you, very honestly, as someone who works in New York City, I feel afraid in New York City. Someone who goes to D.C. to our D.C. Bureau, I won't leave there by myself at night. More than you did three years ago. hundred percent. I've noticed it. It is it is a real feeling. And you can tell me the numbers don't back it up, but I see it. I feel it. And um, I think Chicago was about was about crime. You can't argue those numbers. And but it wasn't the mayor crime. is responsible was, for that. But it was also the fights with the unions. It was the fight with the police union. It was the yes, fight with the teacher union. Yes, she had a very fraught record. Exactly. So yes. it wasn't just the crime sure. because the Chicago crime has been a part of Chicago's fabric since like the 60s and 70s. Yes, but to, to yes. our final point, John, is the trend line going up or down? Well, the trend line shot up um, in, in two accounts. In 2020, you had the combination of covid and the fallout from George Floyd, and those were both factors. In 2021, you saw them struggle with that. And in 2022, you started seeing things. This is on the national side. Um, Every place was different specifically, but the trend was starting to trend down. Here's the problem, though. Whether it's up from 2020 or down from 2020, no place is almost back to 2019 when we had these really low crime rates Um, And in places like New York City and Washington, you thought nothing of walking around the streets late at night. Um, We're not back to 2019. And there's a bunch of factors um, in play there. Okay, friends, thank you all very much. All right, if you were offered $25,000 to move back to the state that you left, would you do it? One state is betting you would. We'll tell you where next. I'd pay New Jersey $25,000 to take me back. I would. All right, would you move back to your home state for $25,000? Yes, I would, as John knows. Uh, There's a new bill making its way through the West Virginia legislature that, if passed, would offer $25,000 to former residents who have been living outside of the state. Is that enough to bring back people to solve the state's shrinking population? Here with me to discuss is Democratic State Senator Mike Wolfel. Uh, Senator, thanks so much for being here. So uh, let's talk about this. West Virginia lost, I think, more residents than any other state per capita since 2010. Why have so many people left the state? Well, uh, you can take us back to 1950. We actually have fewer people than any other than we did then. Uh, we're the only state that claims that. So. Uh, steel and coal have uh, 
fallen on some hard times and manufacturing. So West, West Virginians have an affinity to home. Um, and, you know, sadly, many of our people have had to leave the state to uh, be educated or to follow their profession or occupation. So what this bill does is it would incentivize some of these folks coming back home uh, to, uh, to work. Why are you only offering it to previous residents? Why not open this up to anybody in the United States to move to West Virginia? Well, uh, there would be a lot of room for mischief there. If we just said, come and we'll give you 25% or $25,000 a tax credit, uh, it, maybe we'll call this a pilot project, see how it goes. And then if it, if it succeeds, we'll open it up. But I mean, you're afraid that if people from, I don't know, Virginia or, you know, North Carolina moved, they would just come in and collect the $25,000? do not you have, I mean, I mean, I assume that you have sort of guardrails to keep that from happening. Well, we do have some guardrails. And, you know, it, this is, so many of our people have left um, and they come here to vacation. They come here to see, uh, you know, nature's bounty. And, uh, you know, we just like to have them come back and live here. Um, yes, we could open it up to, to more people, and I think that's really a great idea. Well, you're welcome in that case um, for that, uh, that idea. So $25,000, obviously that's a lot of money. How are the economics going to work there? What will happen is um, you move back and you have a credit of $25,000 on your personal income tax. Uh, we're a fairly low tax state. Um, and you can't really take that all the first year, but over a couple of years, you'll save some, you know, some serious money. And we're looking at folks that re are remote workers. A lot of folks, uh, you know, we've upgraded uh, our access to the internet uh, because of the mountains. That's been a challenge, but we're hoping that remote workers will find their way back home. Mm -hmm. um, so it passed the Senate unanimously, which I assume doesn't happen that often. So when will Correct. this? When when do you predict this will actually be in effect? I would think July first, and uh, you know we also welcome visitors. You'd have to come down here and try our national parks, national forest, national river, and uh, all the recreation that we offer. Sounds lovely. Okay, we, we will do that. Yeah, thanks for, for the invitation, Senator. Um, great to talk to you tonight. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Okay, I'm back with LZ Granderson, John Berman, John Miller, and Essie Cup. Okay, do you want to take him up on this? Well, it's a beautiful state, but you pointed out the fundamental flaw in the reasoning here, a fatal flaw in the reasoning. The people who left know why they left, right? You're actually targeting maybe the least likely people. They chose not to be there. And now you're offering them money. I, I really do think they should open it up to other people. In fact, I, don't, I really don't see why they don't. I think it's actually a good idea if you want to incentivize people to come in for any different number of different reasons. Uh, I do to too. And by the way, as you said, it's a tax. You get it in a tax sure. credit. So you can't just take the money and run. You stay there, and over the course of, I think, a couple of years, you deduct 10000 one year and then 10000 the next year and then 5000 So it, it, I don't know why he said it's open to mischief, <laughs> except that he just doesn't trust any of the other no, 49 exactly. states. Well, you know, we are a little shady in the other 49. <laughs> you know, I 
temporarily, momentarily, briefly considered thinking about West Virginia. When for we were, free. For, for free. When we were looking, my husband and I had sold our home in Arizona, was trying to figure out which state to move in. We saw a number of states who actually offered these similar sort of packages, right, that if you work remotely, move here, we'll give you a tax cut. And so we're like, hey, let's take advantage of this. It's absolutely gorgeous there. But all you have to do is type in LGBTQ, and I'm like, oh, and you're not for me. Mm. Now, and I did, I did move to Texas, which is not necessarily a state that's known for LGBTQ mm. equality, but there are enough pockets within Texas yeah. in which I feel comfortable. Otherwise, Virginia doesn't have enough uh, pockets, and I felt as if I would have been in a, a silo. Mm. Not to mention, look, people with the means and ability to, to move, they look at a few things. They look at schools. They look at mm. jobs. They look at crime. Um, you know, West Virginia schools rank about 41st in the nation, the jobs have gone. The manufacturing jobs are gone. There's an opioid crisis, created some crime. That's a concern. Um, there's some reasons not to move to West Virginia. And I would look at sort of figuring those problems out to um, bring some new residents but back he, or in. Yeah, but to that point, for retirees, like the, what he was describing as how beautiful it is, and there's mountains, and there's lakes, and there's rivers, and all that for retirees, that is why they should open it up. Because that is, if you're not looking at schools, yes, and you can be a little jobs. bit more remote or jobs, then it would be appealing. And I can attest, I've, I've hunted, fished, and camped in West Virginia. It's a beautiful state for that. A place to live, that's tougher, especially for someone like me, with a young family. For sure. I mean, I think if you look at two things here. One is, it's a solution of the pinnacle of short-term thinking, which is the real issue is, what do we need to fix as West Virginians about West Virginia to draw people in? Paying people to come back is an admission of failure with a touch of bribery. But if you get to, <laughs> if you get to the, the math of it, you know, a teacher in West Virginia who is making $42,000 a year, uh, who goes to Oakland, is making $68,000. They're going to go back for the $25,000 mm. for their salary to go down by nearly an equal amount. But isn't it the chicken and the egg? You need to first draw people back for the tax base before you can fix all the things that you are describing. I, I think that... One of those mistakes we make is we think that, uh, you know, uh, you can do economic development and all your problems will go away. You have to make your key problems go away before people are interested in economically developing you. And that's been a, an urban story that we've seen in New York and L.A. Escort and Island. Chicago. Yeah, that's yeah. Escort Island, how, um, you know, paying people, whether it's businesses or even students to stay in Rhode Island or come to Rhode Island, it's almost bankrupted the state and it hasn't really solved some of the endemic systemic problems. Okay. Thank you all for those perspectives. Got some real answers so, so, there. So I'm clear. No one's moving to West Virginia. Is well, that is, well, is your woman negotiating? 30? <laughs> when, when the chief spokesman they bring on to sell this is named Woeful, I mean, it's just <laughs> That's not nice. We need to bring him back. He was a lovely state senator. Yes, yes, he was. And he, made, and he made a very good case. He did. Yes. I feel valued. The second we were like, okay, see you later. Okay, guys, let's talk about West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. That is not like, nice. Girl. It was a little gossipy. Right. <laughs> Moving on. Another lawmaker who wants to ban drag performances is caught dressing in women's clothing. Sometimes hypocrisy comes in a very colorful package. We have the photos for you. Last night, we told you about the Tennessee governor who sponsored an anti-drag bill only to later have this yearbook photo 
surface of him in women's clothing. Now, a Texas state representative has written a similar bill to ban drag performances in that state. And wait for it. Today, a video surfaced of him wearing women's clothing. There he is. Oh, he's he's in front there. That's Texas State Representative Nate Schatzline. He's spilling out. Cavorting. <laughs> he's spilling out of it. Yes, he's wearing a tight little black dress. That's him in the black sequin dress and red feathered mask. CNN has reached out to Representative Schatzline for comment. We have yet to hear back, but he did put out a tweet saying that that was all just for fun. And that looks fun. And uh, just a few hours ago, he did release this video message. I believe we have it. Here we go. The left wing is attacking me because of some class project I did as a teenager where my buddies dared me to wear a dress. But we're not going to let that distract us from the real message of what we're trying to get done right here in the Texas legislature. Why is it always a class project when a Republican does it? <laughs> yeah, what what high school there. class and, project yeah, is why that? Why is he Dr. Dre in the background? Oh. <laughs> How's he doing? I don't want to stop. We're back with our panel. Uh, this is Rich, John. I mean, of course he was wearing a dress. You, you know, my wife has a saying, which is, you know, don't point the finger because there are three fingers pointing right back at yourself. Right. And, you know, this is one of those things. I mean, come on. Of course. I mean, you know why people dress in drag, John? I don't have to tell you. It's fun. It's fun. And it's funny. And so that's, and drag performances are fun and festive and funny. And he knew it then when he was cavorting down the street in his black sequin dress. But he has forgotten that. And he's now sponsoring a bill so that there cannot be any of that in Texas. Just for fun, but not for anyone else except for me. Uh I can keep on doing this for fun, but no one else. That's because it has nothing to do with drag. This is an anti-LGBTQ bill. This is an anti-gay bill. And they're just trying to find a different way of saying the exact same thing. Tootsie, 1982. Ten Oscar nominations. Won an Oscar. Ten years fast forward. Mrs. Doubtfire. Four kids. Won an Oscar. Don't forget something like it hot. Some yes, like a hot. Classic. One of the I'm best dating movies myself. ever. Yeah. No, no, no. no. Ronald Reagan was December. in drag. Milton Berle was in drag. Like, drag has been a part of our culture forever. You know who else was in drag? Rudy Giuliani was once in drag. Do we have oh. some? Do we have that of Rudy Giuliani? Yes? Okay, let's see it. You know, you're really beautiful. And a woman that looks like that has to have her own special scent. Oh, thank you. Maybe, maybe you could tell me what you think of this scent. Hmm, I like that. This, this may be the best of all. Oh, you dirty boy, you. Oh, oh. Donald, I thought you were a gentleman. Hm. You can't say I didn't try. Oh, my goodness, guys. You I forgot that, I apologize. Did you? I didn't know that that, that should that come with was, a warning. That should come with a warning label. I That's didn't terrifying. know how badly that was going to age. <laughs> that has... Aged badly on every single level. That felt illicit. Like, I, I, I felt dirty. Yeah, I was uncomfortable. If you want to scare kids, forget drag story hour. That's it. Thank Show you. them that. Thank you. Is there a statute um, of limitations? Look, I, I spent four years in college dressed? dressed as a woman. I, mean, I know. I, that's, right? why, that's why I went to you first. I did. People don't know. I met my wife doing job. a drag show. I'm one of the very I few people who can say that. This is true about John. Um, he was in an acting group. Yeah, the Hasty Pudding. The Hasty Pudding. I, wasn't, I was you, the president. Okay. I was the chief, chief dresser drag, of drag. Dragger, yep. Um, 
are there states I can't go to now? I mean, is, is it Soon. like a statute um, of limitation? Montana, South, Montana, South Dakota, Missouri, Texas, Tennessee, West Virginia, North Dakota, Nebraska, Arizona, Arkansas, South Carolina, all considering bans on drag shows. So, yes, John, there are. Look, I, you know, no respect for history because, you know, drag goes back centuries and centuries. I think no, that's ancient history. No respect, I think, for the modern places where it is rich cultural value. And, I, you know, in the way that people talk about it is just, it's a shame. I do think it's... And furthermore, when you see that state rep cavorting in the black sequin dress, um, is he sexualizing children? I mean, is that, is he grooming somebody there? Obviously, that was fun. He knew it was fun then. That was fun. So did the governor know that it was fun then. So did George Santos, when George Santos was dressing in drag. And in fact, George Santos says uh, here, well, I'll let him say it himself if we have that, because he talks about how fun it was. Oh, I was not a drag queen in Brazil, guys. I was young and I had fun at a festival. Sue me for having a life. Yeah, you guys. Yeah, sue me for having a life or arrest other people for having a life. And, and if it was all fun and games, I don't think I would particularly care. It's just that these bills that are disguised as anti-gay bills are actually fueling violence. People are showing up to drag shows with weapons and they are threatening to kill people over this. So it would really be helpful if these hypocrites would stop pretending as if they're helping children when they're really just trying to drum up their base and hopefully are getting elected or getting some higher power politicians' attention or whatever the political motive is. But it certainly isn't anything that's benefiting society. I mean, that's exactly right. And it's a domino effect. I mean, once you're now introducing legislation, not only are we engaging in the politicization of everything, but now you're putting the government seal on this should be illegal, which is giving agency to these people who are saying, well, we must strike out against it, which is leading to hate crimes and assaults. And mm -hmm. if you look at two things, one, the blackout uh, that occurred at, on Christmas, you know, that uh, in, in, uh, in North Carolina, at the precise moment that the drag queen story hour was beginning with an audience full of children, uh, that is still one of the potential motives. But if you get to the darker side of this, as you pointed out, you have drag queen events going on at small public libraries, at community organizations, at theaters across the country, where members of the Proud Boys are showing up in army uniforms, carrying AR-15 rifles with the magazines in them, dressed with helmets and night goggles. And I don't know, what has the potential to key off your question to scare a, a small child more? Uh, a guy in a dress uh, reading a storybook or five guys with machine guns standing outside their local library. Yeah, great point. Thank you all for that. And again, that was quite a shocking Rudy Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, what was Rudy's name? Do you know? I don't know. But I didn't, I didn't actually even remember that Donald Trump was going to be in that. <sighs> okay, meanwhile, the separation of church and state is a major principle, of course, in America. But New York City Mayor Eric Adams says he does not believe in separation of church and state. He can't separate faith and politics, his comments, and the role of faith in politics next. New York City Mayor Eric Adams raising eyebrows with his comments about religion and government. Here's what he said at an interfaith breakfast this week. Don't tell me about no separation of church and state. State is the body, church is the heart. You take the heart out of the body, the body dies. 
I can't separate my belief because I'm an elected official. When I walk, I walk with God. When I talk, I talk with God. When I put policies in place, I put them in with a God-like approach to them. Back with the panel now. Um, his, the mayor's closest aide, Ingrid Lewis-Martin, took the stage first before he came on and said the Adams administration does not believe in the separation of church and state. Essie, what are we supposed to make of that? So um, some years ago, I, I wrote a book um, called Losing Our Religion, and it talked about a lot of this um, and how politics and religion get a little commingled. And, you know, some of what he said was not weird. He doesn't have to separate his faith from his job. Um, and people like Sarah Palin and some other religious folks would be mocked a lot for saying that, like, you know, she prayed on big decisions. This is normal. What is chilling and not normal is the suggestion or the dismissal of this institution known as the First Amendment, specifically the separation of church and state. And what Democrats and liberals um, so often misinterpret about this is they imagine it just simply as freedom from religion. He seems to be missing the freedom of religion part of it because it's both. It's both. And so he doesn't have to shed his faith at the door of the mayor's office or Gracie Mansion, but he certainly doesn't need to suggest that church and state belong together in some kind of civil um, in some kind of legal aspect. What was the metaphor he used? Like, you know, the, the head the and the heart. The heart and the mind, yeah. And, and the, the heart is God. He just has to allow for the possibility there can be other people in these buildings running the city yeah. who have something else in their chest cavity other than God because they may not be religious. And he has to, has to, legally, constitutionally, yeah. allow for those people to govern every bit as much as he is. Not even with religion. What if their religion is different? What if they worship a different God? Are you opening up your heart to allow them to also express themselves with the God that they choose to worship? Or because what about he, atheists? Because he identifies as a Christian, right? So he has a very specific religion that he's thinking about, Christianity. I wonder how he feels about having Muslims work for him. I mean, I it was an interfaith event. It was an interfaith, but he wasn't speaking as an interfaith no, person. No, no, and he's not, and he's not an interfaith person. I mean, I think that he was very candid about yeah. what guides him and his belief system, but I have to believe that he is open to other religions. What he's what he seems less open to... Is atheism. Yeah. Yes. No. <laughs> or, or the Constitution. Apparently, I'm dead, because in my heart, there's no church. I don't believe in God. I'm dead. And what that room had in common is that everyone in there believed in a God of some kind. It was an interfaith, um, you know, gathering. But there's a lot of people who don't believe in God at all. And I don't think we're less than. It's just not a great message for the mayor to be talking outside of himself. Absolutely talk about your relationship to God. That's fine. Great. I celebrate you and, and your, you know, your right to do that. But don't dismiss and I think kind of crap on um, the, the, the people in the world who don't see, who don't see it the same and are f protected by the Constitution. And do you consider yourself an atheist? I am an atheist. And John? It's nobody's business, you know, in, in a way. I, 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 first of all, atheism is hard, right? And being agnostic is a lot easier, so sometimes I'm just too lazy. Sure, sure. Um, I understand. But, but, the, but I think that you, were, you said 
you know, what about people of other faiths? I think often people of faith have no issue with other faiths. The real issue, the one group that seems okay to discriminate against in many times in this country are atheists or people mm -hmm. who don't believe in God or actively believe there is no God. They don't seem to be allowed the same leeway as I others. Just, I just yeah, think, you know, in, in the physics of the body politic today, for every action, there is an equal but opposite overreaction. And this is one of these. He's a politician. He's in a room full of religious leaders and he's saying, I am the mayor and that's a, you know, clinical, mechanical, political job, but I believe in God. And now who, who hasn't been mayor of New York City, where the decisions are daunting and hard, has not said to themselves one night late at Crazy Mansion, God, give me the strength to decide the right thing. Lord Jesus, lead me to the solution to this crisis because lives are in the balance. I've stood with that mayor and other mayors in hospital emergency rooms where people who never mentioned God suddenly start to talk to God right there about, you know, that police officer who's on the operating table who might not make it. So Jimmy Carter invoked God all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, the Bushes invoked God. The, mm -hmm. Somebody wrote a critical book saying, you know, in, in, uh, in God They Trust about, you know, the Bush administration. Uh, this is just... Uh, this but, is a, but, this he is also a said he felt like he was called by God to be the mayor. That's also not weird. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of people not. feel a calling to go into public service, okay. and a lot of people talk about feeling called but by God. What he didn't say to lead. What he didn't say was, and anybody who doesn't believe in God shouldn't work for me. And you know, we've well, kind no. of made he, that implied. It's not implied. No, he didn't right. flat out say that. My issue is, and Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I don't have any problem at all saying I'm a Christian at all. My problem is torching the Constitution as you celebrate your religion in an interfaith ceremony. That's what I have a because problem Because they did with. say, I mean, again, his yeah. closest aide said that they declared that the Adams administration doesn't believe in the separation of church and state. Isn't that especially sort of ringing some alarm bells for people? No? I don't quite understand it because, I mean, I get the concept. I don't understand the differentiation there by a spokesman because it's 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 the first amendment that guarantees you know your right to your religion and you've got the ACLU saying you know the mayor has his right to religion but he better be careful there yeah. and uh, you know it's kind of it's, I just find it a strange well, thing. To I mean, the problem when, is when, when coming after that? an administration, you know, the Trump administration which actively looked to erode all of these institutions. And most recently even talked about terminating parts of the Constitution. So it is chilling for an elected official to come out and say, I don't believe in the separation of church and state, something fundamental to our democracy and to our Constitution. No one's challenging his right to be religious and talk about it, talk but about I, it all the time. I think he means the separation of church and state with him. Well, that would be better. Well, th that, that would, would be, be better. better. If that's what he was saying, it was totally fine. <laughs> right. But I do think it left some room for interpretation there toward the end. The stuff he was saying so, about himself. But I mean, the not. spokesman said, but to be absolutely clear, he was saying his faith guides his decisions, meaning the mayor's, not his, um, <laughs> and Capital not others, and that, anyone shouldn't, that, and that anyone should be forced to comply with, shouldn't be forced to comply with his beliefs. 
No one is talking about changing the Constitution yes. or the law. I mean, of course, actions would be different than words. So he's um, allowed to say whatever he wants about what guides him and his faith. And if he were starting to do policies, that would be a much different conversation. It was only it was only that that seemed to be strange, just to make that kind of announcement that the administration doesn't believe. But we've seen so many examples of faith becoming part of legislation. I mean, the entire conversation about gay rights, about uh, reproduction health and reproductive rights, those are heavily religious topics for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So it's important that we find out for the mayor where he really is in this conversation. And I just assume because he didn't say it, that means he must be one way or the other, because we've seen policies enacted that are faith-connected, that are harming a lot of people. All right, friends, thank you all very much for all of those perspectives. Now to this. He's been barefoot for 20 years at the grocery store, going for a run, even at restaurants. Why he does it and what other people say about it. That's next. All right, imagine living your life barefoot all the time. That's how Joseph Derubo Jr. lives. He's profiled in the New York Times. Under the headline, he took off his shoes 20 years ago. He hasn't put them back on. Derubo says he first went barefoot because of agonizing bunions. Quote, about 20 years ago, they had become painful, throbbing during long runs in tight sneakers and interfering with his life. Mr. Derubo saw a doctor who recommended surgery. As he waited for the scheduled procedure, he went without shoes because the pain was so intense. He then learned that screws would have to be implanted in his feet and they contained a metal he was allergic to. He also realized that he felt much better without shoes. It did not take long before he realized that going barefoot was enriching his life. <laughs> Discuss. Um, <laughs> I want to bring back in my panel. <laughs> so the best thing about this article is John, John. John Miller is right now wishing he were invisible, but you're not, John. I can see you. Um, the thing is, he goes without shoes on runs, and he has gone to restaurants without shoes, and he goes into gas stations, and he goes into stores, and he lives his life. Without shoes. Except when he showers, when he puts on work boots, which is like the weirdest <laughs> no, thing. No, he doesn't. Okay. No, he doesn't. And he does shower before getting to his bed with his wife, who is a shoe wearer. The, a shoe wearer? Uh, a shoe wearer. Yeah, it's, it's the ultimate mixed marriage. She identifies right as a shoe wearer, as the article Britney said. Spears walked so that he could run. Yes. Um, remember the, the barefoot In the era of, station. of Britney Spears? In the gas yeah. station. I don't know. I, I'm... I, I'm mixed on this because I, I spent the first 18 years of my life in point shoes and the oh. last 15 in heels. I guarantee you his feet are in better condition than mine. Oh. Guarantee. And part of me is a little jealous of this, the liberation, but I also love my heels and I can't imagine the things he's stepped on. Yeah. Every single time I go through the TSA line yes. and I see someone flip-flops on, I just go, you're about to walk through the scanner barefoot. Yes, you are. That is nasty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like the only time in which my, I, I don't like to judge people. That's judging. But, but that's, that's when it kicks in. When, I, yeah. when I'm in the airport and I see you go through that TSA line, it's like going, all these people are standing here like this. And we've all stepped on the stuff. And you're there barefoot. Yes. Yep. That is nasty. Didn't Jeff Spicoli learn, like, mm. no shirt, no shoes, no dice? Mm-hmm. I mean, how does this guy live without dice? Well, he only goes to small, like, mom-and-pop stores and mom-and-pop restaurants where they accept this quirk. They ignore sanitation quirk? rules. <laughs> quirk. But, but he's also yes. challenged those rules. I mean, he's walked into places in Connecticut. and they're like, Sorry, you know, you have to have shoes to come in here. It's the health code. And he said, no, it's not. Look it up. 
So, you know, he's, he, no, I'm sorry for saying this, he's put a lot of places back on their heels saying that, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of these are made-up rules. Um, so it's uh, all the reason. rules are made up for a good reason. <laughs> well, as people say, for insurance purposes, mm-hmm. he said that's another one he runs into. Runs so into I think their default is go to places where they know us, so we don't have to go through this. Tread but lightly, he's willing to tread lightly. Let's tread another, lightly. Another one. Another one. Yeah, guys, this is amazing. Amazing. He's got soul and he's super bad. Wow! Wow! wow. Thank you. Oh, no, I'm, I'm just gonna pull the plug well, on this before we. The last segment had a song. <laughs> uh, thank you all very much for that input. All right. Meanwhile, uh, <laughs> former, House, former House Speaker. Better segment just like that. <laughs> just tell the line. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> former House Speaker Paul Ryan getting a grilling for staying on the Fox Board of Directors amid all of the election lies. Not Rex Ryan. Oh Racism, God. disinformation, and attacks on democracy. If you don't stand up now, then when? So what do you really think? Former House Speaker Paul Ryan is facing questions about being on the board of Fox News' parent company while several Fox hosts pushed election lies. Here's what Ryan said in an interview with commentator Charlie Sykes last Thursday, days before the explosive filing about Dominion voting systems that revealed more Fox lies. If you are on the board of directors of a Mm. company that is pumping toxic sludge, racism, disinformation, and attacks on democracy. If you don't stand up now, then when? So what do you really think? Well, yeah. I, yeah. and that's what I, but I, and, yeah. and, and, and I'm, so, I'm sorry I got lost um, in the mail, but uh, yeah, so there, do there, you have any responsibility so I, for that? I do. I have a responsibility to offer my opinion and perspective, and I do that, but I don't go out on TV and do it. Right. I understand. So I have a responsibility. But do you? I do. I do. So I offer my perspective and my opinion often. In, 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 I'll just leave it at that. Okay. So you have raised these particular I questions. I'll just leave it at that. Is there a red line for you at any point where you said, I cannot be associated with a company that I, does this? I want to see the conservative movement get through this moment. And, and, and I think Fox is a big part of the constellation of the conservative movement. And I want to see it is really is. Is it the is. solution or the problem? Oh, no. I, I think it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be a part of the solution if we're going to solve the problem in the conservative movement. Okay, I want to bring in Legal Eagle, Joey Jackson, political guru, <laughs> political guru. Really? I was I like just going to go with genius. I need a beard. John, John Avalon, <laughs> former Congressman Mondaire Jones, and the ever unflappable S.E. Cup. Um, John, yeah. so he, he voices his reservations about the, the lies or whatever the Fox hosts are spinning in private, but not publicly. Doesn't seem like they respect his opinion. That thing has changed after he voiced those reservations. Yeah. And, and, and look, this is this is the negotiation that people inside, whether it's Fox or you know some folks who serve in the Trump administration. The argument is, look, I've got influence. It's better to be in the room. The problem is, is that process itself becomes corrupting. Um, the, the, your belief that you can change the culture, the culture ultimately eats you for breakfast. And look. It, this is let's be honest, you know, part of the problem we're seeing in Fox is a version of what we're seeing in the Republican Party. It's a form of Stockholm syndrome. It's driven by fear and greed. And for Paul Ryan being on the News Corp board as part of his retirement package, he clearly hopes that Fox can reform itself. 
But everything we've seen from Discovery suggests that this is marrow deep inside the culture, that the people who were trying to tell the truth were the outliers. And so I don't know who's, who's fooling himself on this one. He makes $335,000 a year as a board member on the Fox board. Um, a lot of that is in stock. So if Fox does well, he does well. Yeah, and I think that's the answer to why he's remaining on the board, right? There are plenty of boards that he could be a member of, and that there are, there are plenty of organizations that he can be associated with that are not nearly as scandalous as Fox News in this particular moment, where you've got the, the leader of the organization admitting that he knew that what his own hosts were doing were, were telling lies, right? And lies that ended up inciting violence ultimately at the Capitol, where I was on January 6th in 2021. And so I, I just... It's hard for me to take this guy seriously. And, and by the way, this is not the first instance of Paul Ryan sort of saying one thing and his actions, you know, I think undermining the interpretation that he wants people to have. But, but you, you got to stand up for something at some point. And the idea that he thinks that he could single-handedly or even with a group of people change Fox in this moment, a profit-driven organization that feeds off of this rage and, and this election denialism, at least in this moment, and for the foreseeable future, by the way, so long as Trump, you know, is, is favored to be the nominee, I, I think is, is really disingenuous, if not delusional. Well, I don't doubt his sincerity at all. And that's my boyfriend you're talking about there. But um, <laughs> no, I mean, no, wait, I know not, because I've, I. I've interviewed him many times. And I, you know, I know him from when he was in the House and then when he was Speaker. And that is the uh, uh, mindset he had when he stayed Inside the GOP, he wanted to fix it from inside, to John's point. And I think he is earnest in that belief. The problem is the conservatism that he wants to restore has left the building. It left Fox, it left the GOP, it left CPAC, it's gone, because Trump convinced all of those entities to jettison it so that Trump and Trumpism could be at the center of all of these universes. And so he's hoping to restore something that isn't there anymore. And because Fox has become so beholden to its viewers, as we now all know, Mm -hmm. uh, they have no incentive to restore conservatism because the viewers don't want it. Now they're here for the culture wars and the conspiracy theories. And Fox is going to keep doubling and tripling down on that diet. So I don't think Paul is disingenuous. I don't think he's a hypocrite. I just think it's a fool's errand. I, I don't to think, think he can though, change that. Uh, so a couple of things. The first thing is I can't put this on Paul Ryan. I mean, it's it's way deeper mm-hmm. than Paul mm-hmm. Ryan. And so I don't think we could string it to him in the interest of full disclosure. I spent about five years there as an unpaid contributor. In fact, I met the lovely Alison Camerata at Fox News the back in the day. The highlight of your time Okay, uh, way the highlight of my time. You met me uh, too at Fox. Thereafter, right. <laughs> right. I um, clearly have so, not yet lived. <laughs> we all yeah. Yes, we, we did. We did. So, yes, you guys were at Fox. I mean, listen, we, we, we all, you know, we met at Fox and that was a, it was a great time. Different culture, way different from CNN. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But yes. I, I digress. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> Thank you, yes. John. Right. <laughs> but I digress. Romanticize the Roger years too much. <laughs> yeah, much. Right. I, I think that this whole issue, right, with respect to putting, you know, money over journalism and journalistic integrity, and then, of course, not to go far afield, but having Rupert Murdoch engaging this deposition where he flat out is basically saying, I had my hand in the cookie jar. I knew exactly what was happening and what hosts were doing and what this one should do and outing everyone, which I thought was a little 
Uh, it was a little interesting to me. And um, do you think that that's because he's perhaps setting up some of his executives to take the fall? And here? perhaps he is. But I think at the end of the day, we could have a fair conversation about Paul Ryan and his responsibility. And if you're not part of the solution, clearly you're part of the problem. But to say it's all on him, I can't do that. No, and, and look, I, Paul Ryan clearly thinks he can still be part of the solution. I, I take Essie's point. I also agree that he's sincere. And there's the attitude that, you know what, you, you don't leave the church just because you don't like the preacher. I want Paul Ryan to succeed. We need two sane political parties. Um, we don't have that right now. But, but what we're seeing in this discovery is that the rot was as deep as it could possibly be to the extent where the people trying to tell the truth were being targeted for firing. I don't know how you fix that culture without but ripping it up But did you have any doubt? Because you know Fox. I know Fox. We know yeah. the people there. Did you have any doubt that that's what was happening? No. Right. No, this has not come, for people who worked at Fox, this has not come as a surprise. It has come as a surprise for people on the outside who didn't know, I guess, how systemic. They were being lied to. Yeah. And how cynical. And how cynical it was. Here's what Paul Ryan said. Uh, This was um, on page 50 of this Dominion filing. There's been so many revelations in this. This, he said, on January 12th, I believe, right after the insurrection. Ryan believed that some high percentage of Americans thought the election was stolen because they got a diet of information telling them that the election was stolen from what they believe were credible sources. That says it all. Fact. That says it all. That's the people who tune in actually think it's Fox News, but they're not following any of the journalistic rules. But the Jonah Goldbergs and the Stephen Hayes, they're— their kind of conservatism is gone. The journalists are gone. The Shep Smiths. 80% not of all. the journalists got, there, but got The Wall Street well, Journal exactly. didn't even cover this. And they started favoring the opinion over the journalism. And the opinion was actively attacking the journalists for questioning the stuff the opinion owes were trying saying. trying to get them fired. But, yes. we, but we all know, right, that people want to hear what they want to hear. So do you tune in to get a different perspective, but, but, or do you tune in to confirm what your perspective but, but this, really this is? This is the problem with angertainment, uh, which is a phrase Ryan used. This is the problem with, with sort of you know, news uh, confirmation bias masking as news. And this is the problem of our time. The reason democracy is in, in difficulty right now is because of polarization and hyperpartisanship being fed by these organizations that are duping people into believing they are being told the truth when the people saying it know they're lying. Yeah. And corporate media, right? The Wall Street Journal did not cover this. It was as though it didn't happen, even though it was the biggest story for several days. I mean, we're still talking about it today. And not just because we're CNN, but because we care about, like, the facts. We consider ourselves a news organization. We put balanced discussion on a platform for people to listen to, but we also don't say that there are alternative facts, right? There's only there's only one thing that happened with respect to the legitimacy of the 2020 election. And even people at Fox who are hosts, like marquee people at the at the network, are saying in text messages to each other and in emails and in in, in one-on-one meetings with each other at the highest levels that they know this stuff is false. But, but then the next thing to... they're saying is, but well, we can't lose the audience to news. Yeah, that's because right. Because of the profit Fear and greed. Mm-hmm. Fear and greed. And we got to find a way to get back to facts in the center again. Okay. Thank you all. Stick around, everybody, because I want to talk about how to protect kids from the biggest threat out there. We'll tell you what that is. It's getting harder to protect young people from gun violence. A sobering study shows that in 2019, firearm-related injuries surpassed car crashes as the number one cause of death for U.S. children and teenagers. And according to a recent report from The Washington Post, since the Columbine shooting in 1999, more than 338,000 students 
have experienced gun violence at their school. On this week's episode of American Idol, a young contestant shared his experience of surviving a school shooting, leading to an emotional response from Judge Katy Perry. I'm from Santa Fe, Texas. Um, In May 2018, um, a gunman walked into my school. Uh, I was in art room one. He shot up art room two before he made his way to art room one. Uh, Lost a lot of friends. Uh, Eight eight students were killed. Uh, Two teachers were killed. What you doing, Katie? Our country has failed us. Facts. This is not okay. You should be singing here because you love music. It's true. Not because you had to go through that. I agree. Our panel's back with us. Well, that's awful. Um, and, you know, Katy Perry is shouting what we all wish that we, we could shout every time we have to report on one of these. And I just thought it was so stunning, Joey, to hear the, the stats that now gun violence is the number one killer of, teenager, of teenagers and children in the U.S. You know, uh, stunning, maybe not so much, right, Allison? Because every time you turn on the TV, I think we're even becoming desensitized to this. How often are we covering these mass shootings and just it's like run amok? And then you wonder why something is not being done in the face of this, right? When we talk about legislation, Congressman, you of all people would know it, legislation is a response to something that occurs. And we have the perfect excuse now to pass all types of regulations. And what I'm sick and tired about, if I have to say, is I know the slogan, right? Guns don't kill people. People kill people. And we blame it on mental illness and we blame it on this and we blame it on that. The fact is, is that we have a real issue. And unless we get our arms around it, we're going to be seeing a lot more than people with guns kill people. And, 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 you know, I it's not about looking for an excuse. It's that we're seeing a, a radius of damage that's just undeniable and unlike any other nation. And yes, we have a Second Amendment. Um. But that doesn't mean there can't be reasonable regulation. And the Supreme Court's, you know, reinterpreted in a maximalist way right now, just as this is telling. When that, 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 that young man on that show reminded us all, I think, it's not just the death toll. It's the lives and the damage created by the people who survive as well. And so we got to get serious about it. Our, our politics need to start responding to it in a more constructive way. And to get away from this idiotic duality of it means you're anti-Second Amendment, anti-guns, if you want to do something to try to heal our country. Exactly. Here's an idea. Maybe it's not politics. Maybe we've given up on Congress. So here in the L.A. Times, they have a different suggestion for us all. Today's public service announcements on gun safety feel somewhat sanitized. None really captures the horrifying physical and emotional damage caused by guns. Maybe if we showed the public what it looks like when a kid is shot, the shock and disgust, a view of the reality would counter the social glamour of guns. This is interesting. And the reason that I bring this up is because there are PSAs and huge, you know, PR um, campaigns campaigns that have worked. Remember, John, I look at you because you're roughly my age. um, When we, as teenagers, when our parents were so afraid we'd be killed in a drunk driving accident. Mm -hmm. And then there was Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And they made an impact. And now my kids 
wouldn't dream of driving drunk. They would yeah. not dream of driving drunk. They, they, it, it wouldn't occur to them. It, it has seeped into the sort of social community yeah. that that's not acceptable, what we We've were around. Smoking. As, and smoking seen... is another during the 2000, from between 2012 and 2018, the CDC's tips from former smokers campaign, which are horrible. Those, those PSAs, yeah. if you've seen, they're so arresting. Those where they can't breathe and they're choking. They, uh, have prevented an estimated 129,000 early deaths and saved an estimated 7.3 billion in smoking-related healthcare costs. I was part of one of those youth groups, right? And in, in, in Florida, it was called Truth, and that was funded in part, uh, if not exclusively, by money from the tobacco settlement. Uh, here in New York, in the Hudson Valley, I was part of a group called Reality Check, uh, and and we Good educated name. people. Yeah, we educated people, and, and in different states, it was called something different, but it was a youth-led movement. Um, that was intended to educate other young people about, frankly, the sinister ways in which the tobacco industry would market its products to young people. You know, putting uh, products at a certain height in, in convenience stores so that they could be seen by younger people. Joe Camel. Uh, Joe Camel, putting images the, that were sort of, you know, of interest to young people, animals and, 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 and other characters. Look, I was in sixth grade when Columbine happened. As afraid as I was in that moment, I never imagined that this nation would become numb to mass shootings. And and it it should be arresting to everyone that over 300,000 young people have experienced some, you know, in some way uh, a mass shooting, mass school shooting since 1999, which is when Columbine happened. I uh, listen, I'm here for all the solutions and all of the brainstorming. You know, I quit the NRA years ago because that kind of thinking didn't happen. And the NRA no longer represented gun owners like me who are absolutely open to common sense gun. And there's so many of you. I mean, you're the majority. And yet the yes. NRA doesn't recognize that. Well, and their membership is dwindling. So is their donor donorship. So they're they're finding that out. The problem is that this author suggests that the media play a role in this campaign. And I don't think that's the answer. Why? Um, Well, for one, um, trust in media is at an all-time low. And among Republicans, about 35% of them trust national media. So if these are the people you're trying to reach, I don't think this is the best messenger group. Um, Listen, I've covered guns for a long time. I'm a gun owner. There are very few issues the media knows less about. But how about just PSAs? Guns. I mean, forget you're, but you're, PSAs like CDC. Yes, I think absolutely. And showing the graphic nature of all of this, I think, is really important. But the biggest change has to come from law-abiding gun owners who yes. start demanding more action of our congressmen, of our <clears throat> lobbyists, of our representatives. We're the ones that have to put the pressure on. But, Essie, where are the PSAs? Where are the public service announcements that speak to responsible gun ownership? I mean, there's the 97% org, and there's some organizations that try to do this. It's really hard to cut through, especially if you're trying to cut through to the Second Amendment crowd. There's <clears throat> nothing that's going to cut through unless you appeal to, you know, the the absolute awful violence, the graphic violence of this. Um, you have to talk as mothers, not as politicians, not as me- media members, as mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, colleagues, friends. That's how you have to put down your politics to do it. Who are losing and, people senselessly yes. to violence that shouldn't occur, that occurs way too often, that yes. we're seeing. And then we say, 
Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Well, but, but I think we, we, we all know that that rings hollow now. I think the solution is, frankly, Essie, is it's people like yourself. It, it's, it's about gun owners who understand the Second Amendment, who say that doesn't mean we can't do anything. We have a long history in this country. Yeah. You no, know, you couldn't bring your guns into town in the Old West. You know, you know Tommy guns have been banned since, you know, the, the, ni- the 1930s. We had an assault weapons ban in this country, and we let it lapse in 2004. And it was effective. And it was effective. And so I think it's really about not digging into the duality of this, but rather gun owners who believe in the Second Amendment and understand it saying, we've been fed a false choice and it's killing our kids. It's a majority. It's a majority of people. It's a majority of gun owners who believe that. They just don't have a lobby group. They don't have a group representing them that is as powerful as the NRA. But, uh, you know, I'm certainly not alone. It is also a symptom of our broken democracy that we cannot do basic things supported by 90% of the American people like universal background checks. That involve children. That that involve children. So, and so, and when I say broken democracy, I'm talking about gerrymandering. I'm talking about the role of mm-hmm. money in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, frankly, the way the, the way the electoral college is set up and the way the Senate is set up, but th- those are longer term projects. You're getting ahead of yourself. I, I know. I know. God forbid. But like, Rich. I just want government to actually be responsive to what the American people want. And that is not the government that we have on this issue and on a number of other yeah. issues. Okay, Everyone stay with me, if you would, because now we need to talk about this that keeps happening for the 13th time. In just the past three months, a whale has been spotted struggling in coastal waters off of New York and New Jersey and then washed up. A carcass has washed up. So what's going on? What's causing this? We have some possible answers. Since December 1st, 13 whales have died in the New York and New Jersey region. Ten humpback whales, two sperm whales, and one minke whale. What's going on? Joining me now, Paul Cieswerda. He's the executive director of Gotham Whale. Paul, thanks so much for being here. Why is this happening? Well, thank you for your interest in this very concerning activity of whales in this area. Uh, It's really troubling because so many whales are Um, washing up on shore as mortalities and kind of breaking news. um, As we speak, there are two additional whales, one breezy point and one off the uh, coastline of uh, New Jersey that are either in the surf or still afloat or washed up on shore. So this is a um, very concerning activity. It's uh, been going on now 2016, NOAA, the agency that uh, oversees all of this kind of uh, activity, has uh, declared an unusual mortality event, which means that more whales than usual are found dead on the beach. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, as you point out, since the beginning of this winter season, uh, numerous whales have have been showing up. So the Condition is very uh, grave, and what I can tell you is kind of the facts that we see from our work in accumulating the uh, information about live whales swimming around that we are happy to say are healthy. Well, I do want to know uh, that, Paul, because I just want to know if you see a pattern here. Is this, what's, are they all being killed by the same thing? Well, the people that do the necropsies have determined that there are, in fact, uh, indications of ship strikes. So that's kind of the smoking gun that has been identified. 
And that makes some sense because uh, the increase in the shipping has taken place uh, recently in the New York area where they've um, put, they've raised the bridges and deepened the channels to accommodate bigger and bigger and more boats that are coming into the harbor of New York, New Jersey. So putting those two things together, it um, is it's an unhappy uh, additive that brings whales and ships in closer contact. And so have these whales always been swimming in the shipping lanes, or are they coming in closer to shore? Has something changed? Something that we see as a definite change, which may, it's very complex in the ocean, of course, but uh, warming conditions may have brought more fish to this area. And of course, it's very clear that the whales are coming to this area to feed. They feed on Menhaden, and Menhaden have been seen in this area as well. So um, that is somewhat of a change during the winter season. Uh, just uh, this past summer, we we identified uh, 600 um, whale sightings from our uh, naturalists on board whale watching vessels mm. and from citizen scientists. So it's a definite increase in the whales and they're coming here to feed. And Paul, what's the solution to this? Oh, well, I wish I knew a, a good solution. It's it's very, very complex. And some of the uh, information that we are aware of needs to be expanded before I think anyone can make any uh, definitive uh, <clears throat> cause and effect answers. Okay. Um, um, well, thanks, Paul. I really appreciate you um, coming in at this hour to tell us about this. I didn't know that they were all ship strikes. That's really helpful. Uh, Paul sees where... Well, not, not yeah. all, but a significant number. Okay. Thank you. We will check back with you. Um, and thanks for letting us know about the other two that we hadn't known about. Uh, all right. Well, we're back. Very- Thank, thanks, Paul. We're back with Joey Jackson, John Avalon, Mondera Jones, Essie Cup. One of them is in Sandy Hook, which is my home beach, and then some of them are near uh, are on Long Island, good. where you live. Yeah, we've got Long Island's been had a lot of these these beachings, and these are just these are just magnificent creatures, and it breaks your heart. Um, I don't know what you do about ship strikes, but the fact that there seems to be a climate aspect that's changing the migration patterns, um, you know, it's just one more example of how we're all interconnected. That's right, because, I mean, he was sort of suggesting that, you know, now there are bigger ships, there are more ships, ships have been turned on again after shipping shut down, you know, for COVID. So there's that, there's, there's that we just came out of this pandemic, and there's the warming that is connected to everything. And I, you know, this is the outcome of it. Yeah, you know, a couple of things. Uh, the first thing, of course, if it's a shipping issue, it would only be difficult, though, to regulate that, because how do you regulate underneath the seas, right, where these whales are? So that becomes problematic. Number two, if it's a migration issue relating to global warming, I mean, that's, that's quite the larger issue, right? Uh, global warming, I think, is problematic in many respects. And when you talk about it, people think you're crazy. Right. I mean, it's but they don't think you're crazy anymore about global warming. Of, uh, I mean, they don't think haven't we all decided at this point that climate change is happening? I hope so. Yeah, not, I not hope everybody. So. Has, I don't think everyone. Right. That's the most problem. people have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Make, making making progress and getting on the same reality based page on this one. But yeah. we're not there. But yet. I think yeah. Paul's warning is important because <clears throat> when you look at things like this from a conservation standpoint, it's complex. He said that a couple of times. And so, you know. You'll need to study. They'll need to study exact all the conf- the confluence of factors. We do that when we look at deer and chronic wasting disease and this po- boom in population of sharks off the coast of um, Cape Cod. 
there's a lot going on. And when you talk about um, conservation and animal populations, fishing, hunting, harvesting, all that, very complex system. So he's absolutely right that they'll need to look at all the things that are creating this phenomenon, this awful phenomenon. This one just announces itself in such a big Oof. way. It's yeah. hard to ignore. Literally. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Thank you all very much. Meanwhile, uh, TikTok is imposing a one-hour time limit on accounts with users under 18 years old, although they can get around it with a passcode. So let's talk about how much time we all spend on our phones and what we can do to help teenagers spend less time. The panel has opinions after the break. <laughs> All right, TikTok announcing a new feature to limit screen time for some users. They're rolling out a one-hour daily limit for users under 18. Once that 60-minute limit is met, users will be prompted to enter a passcode if they want to extend their time on the app. Okay, uh, we're back with the panel. Essie, you are a fan of TikTok. What do you love so much about it? I'm a lurker. I don't produce anything on TikTok. (laughs) A lurker? I don't know that I want to tell that I want to tell you what I like on TikTok. Because <laughs> no, it's that you must, disturbing. You must tell us now. Is it really worth I like Korean and Japanese convenience store halls. What? Um what? Yeah, I like watching people go into these awesome convenience stores and um in Korean. Why? I know you're looking at me so weird because it's Why? Because the variety of food and drink in these places just looks amazing. And it, I live vicariously through them. Is it huh. set to music? No. It's just a video. Does Paul yeah. Ryan have a TikTok, and do you follow it? I don't. No, I don't do any politics on there. I'm, I'm t- you just I just watch people shop in other nations, specifically in foreign lands. these, these yeah. two, these two foreign lands. Please, she's not crazy. Just Korea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's I'm totally weird. normal. I, I, in a I'm certain weird, sphere. but listen, yes. I, and I love it. But this makes me so sad. What the one hour time limit? Yeah. No. Why? Why? No, no, no. Hear me out. Oh, go on. Because that's my job. I'm the parent, and yeah. any parent should be able to set a limit for their kid. Any parent should be able to say, here's what you can do, and here's what you can't do on this social media app. I think when parents don't have to parent, they don't. Why would you when the, the app is going to do it for you? But how do you realistically, given how busy you are and how busy the average parent is, like be able to monitor that activity I mean, you're not with your kid at every moment, right? And, right. And so it's, in fact, you're not with your kid for more than one hour during the during the waking day. And so I, I mean, think that's not true. But but uh, no, yeah. I get it. It takes some work. Depending on how it old takes your, some I creativity. Say, caveat, depending but, on how old your kid. Well, I get it. But parenting is hard. Parenting is a full time job. Yeah. You know, we all work. But parenting is hard, and it's really hard coming up against these social media apps that we all have to to navigate. We all have to fight off their influences. But if we simply just say, "Well, the app will take care of that," we never have to get our hands okay, dirty. But 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 we're we're you know it, it's supposed to be hard, but we can make it a little easier, right? I mean, one of the this this is ByteDance, the parent company of TikTok, negotiating because part of the problem is is that in China they get a different version of TikTok yeah. to the domestic population, including time limits, but also sort of what might be called more nutrition content. Is that right? Yes. And Maria Ressa writes eloquently about this. And the problem is you've got a, you know, sort of a a, a distracted uh, youth group that's really being uh, taken in places that are not even remotely civically constructive. And it is addictive. We see the data. It's having an impact on mental health. Definitely. So if this can cap that, um, that's a step in the right direction. You can cap it too. You can take the phone away from your kid. I I, I honestly, I I think that right now we are, we are changing kids' brains in real time in dangerous ways. And if there's a 
Just it's, This is a nudge. Let's make it a little bit more difficult to fall down that rabbit hole and have your brain turn I think much. anything that allows for more social interaction is a very good thing. I think Getting social media, absolutely. I think social yeah, media has its place. I think kids will play with phones. Fabulous. However, how often have all of us seen, right, a group of kids around a table, no one's talking to each other. Everyone's on the phone interacting. Hello, I'm are here. That's not how are you? We What's ourselves are addicted to our right, phones. Terrible. Right, terrible. Yeah, Yes, I would have been a much worse student, I think, had, you know, Instagram and Twitter and, and Facebook. Well, Facebook for one year existed while I was in, in, in high school. And I couldn't even use it because at the time you had to be a college student to get on Facebook. Right. So that's, I just that's old. School. Yeah, that's old school. Right. Um, so I, I just think between that and, and, and then the bigger issue we, we should not forget about, which is that China is stealing our data. <laughs> yeah. Among other things. <laughs> that is why we need to limit the use of TikTok. We need to ban it altogether, frankly, I think, in the United no, States. No, wow. Wes, excuse me. <laughs> Do not take my Korean convenience store halls away. You can get that someplace else. I don't know that I can, John. I don't know that I can. No, but... <laughs> I think but, you know, kids need to speak with each other, relate to each other. Of course yeah, they yeah. do. And they actually need to be outside more and learn how to socialize and not yeah. with helicopter parenting. But it's interesting because, you know, the, the, the parents in, in, in my kids' school are already anticipating this and saying that, you know, we're trying to sign a uh, get everyone to agree to limit, uh, you know, no social media until kids hit, say, eighth grade. That is and, and, way too late. You know, That's so again, this is all a brave new world. We're figuring mm-hmm. it out. But if there's a way to deal with the peer pressure, if there's a way to, to stop that, because we already see the, the impact it's having on, on, on young people's yeah. minds and the mental health of people, particularly young young. Yes, and if you could all be in it together, that would be yeah. uh, very helpful. Okay, now to one of our favorite stories on this program. Oh. Speak for yourself. You'll see. You'll see. What was it like for NFL star quarterback Aaron Rodgers to sit in total darkness for four days during his darkness retreat? Tonight, he is talking about it. We're going to hear from him next. Maybe. (laughs) Okay, our darkness retreat update. (laughs) Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers says he went on a darkness retreat last month to find inner peace of mind and figure out if he wants to continue to play football. While he has not made a decision, he is now talking about what it was like to live in total darkness for four days. I lit a little candle. I closed the door and kind of arranged my food on my bed where I was um, where I was going to eat it. And then I blew that candle out. Mm. And that started um, a pretty incredible, uh, difficult at times, uh, four nights and you're in a brand new room and you try and get the picture of, okay, there's where my bed is. And then, you know, it's four steps, medium sized steps to the bathroom. Only thing I can drill you is this wall on the left here besides the bed. And then once you get to the bathtub, you take a right and it's about three steps. You got to watch out for this big hook that's coming out of the wall. So I put, they got a big hook on the wall. Well, it's not, it's, it's dicey. It was a dangerous hook, potentially. A couple of the most disorienting things were a couple of times, you know, I, there was like on the other side of the bed was a kind of a little mat, yoga mat and like a little uh, meditation uh, seat, you know, and a little mat. And so you definitely uh, meditating you know, a, a decent amount. It's much easier with absolutely zero distractions and zero noises. I mean, we couldn't really hear any nature noises. We so there was in there. quiet snow yeah. that was on the uh, on the outside, right? 
but but the worst part was being disoriented coming out of one of those like meditations where mm-hmm. you're like, I think the bed's over here. And that's how I ran into things multiple times because yeah. I think, oh, I'm good. And bang, you know, yeah. right to the yeah, wall yeah, for sure. Why is there a giant hook sticking out in a pitch black room? That's my first question. Second question, who's the we? But either way, what are your thoughts? Rich people are so bored. Like, <laughs> this is how folks are searching for meaning in life. Uh, also, why is he barefoot in this interview? <laughs> right, similar to the Because he got in touch with his inner hobbit. This is very, hobbit. It's very important. Um, yes, are you intrigued? <laughs> Listen, the, you know... <laughs> The generous part of me wants to say, congratu- commend him mm-hmm. for working on his mental health, talking openly about needing some kind of retreat. I, I am not going to judge. Uh, well, I'm going to judge a little. But, um, you know, that's good. We should all feel comfortable mm-hmm. talking about that. I'm not, I, I want to know how he felt afterwards. Like, what was the change mm-hmm. that I think we'll Four find Days out. of Darkness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. brought about? I think is we'll he going to be out. a better quarterback? Look, That's what I want to know. The bottom line is that he may come to New York. That would be a very good thing, mm-hmm. right? If he joins the Jets, I think that would be a measurable <laughs> increase. Will uh, he star <laughs> in the next Batman movie? <laughs> <laughs> Anything's possible now. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's sort of morphing into Jack Dorsey. But, I mean, I, I think that, I, look, I, I think in, in fairness to him, Think about the example that Joe Namath was setting for the youth of America. And now he's saying, look, I'm going to take a first-ranked uh, first rank quarterback and have him get into meditation, albeit in a really, really odd way. Uh, I also look forward to the meme of him saying what, the, the, the wink and smile after then I blew the candle out. That, that was, was pretty creepy. <laughs> that was creepy. Uh, yeah, but I want to hear the outcome. And God bless <laughs> yeah. him for finding Listen, himself in meditation. How do you eat in the dark, Joey? Uh, it's, it's probably very difficulty. very difficult. Right, exactly. But straw. Like, each of us have our own thing. Yeah. And if his own thing after a very stressful season where he thought he could advance further was to go and spend two, four nights, whatever he did in a dark place, that's what he did. This if is he po- gets his, right? It's post-grad ayahuasca. Okay. Yes, if he man, gets his mental health intact and he crumbs on it. What? <laughs> when he arranged the food on his bed. <laughs> Listen, just- there's an Oakland A's pitcher, Barry Zito. He used to do ballet and yoga. I mean, I, you How know, did you bring Barry Zito into this conversation? Well, because he, I, I congratulate him. He was, was very It good. was a little odd as well, I but he, he, he embraced it. It was yeah. his own odd regimen. Absolutely. And he embraced it, made him a better pitcher. Nucleolouche. Sorry, <laughs> Right. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm yourself intrigued. with authority. I'm intrigued, but not tempted. <laughs> intrigued, but not tempted. I'm not tempted. I, I just, I'm not tempted to. No, four to, days in, in the dark. Dark. Eating no. in the dark. When the lights go out in your J-E-T-S, home. J-E-T-S, like, Jets. Jets, Jets. Maybe he'll go to the Jets as a you result. Can have of it. Do you, do you think that, that's that, that's where you're coming down on this? Yes. No. That would be a lot of mind control that happened in that Hobbit hole there. <laughs> that would be wow. Um, no, he has. I mean, he talked a little bit more, but all he said is that some family stuff came up. Obviously, you know, career stuff, and I just kind of let whatever was going to come in come in, and it definitely did. That's what he said. God bless him. Came into right. the dark room. Into his mind. Into his mind. Oh. <laughs> it does remind. Not it not. reminds me of the ayahuasca. That it is that whole. Experience. It releases the same drug in your brain. Naturally releases Wait, uh, a I drug. I know about this. How do you know about this? I do this every night. I do the darkness retreat every night, and it triggers <laughs> some hormone in your brain. But not for four straight days. But close. close. Okay. All right, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for watching. Tune in tomorrow for more darkness retreat and much more news. Our coverage continues. Actually, should be. 
quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.